2: Thunder rolls across the ominous black clouds, giving an unsettled feeling of approaching danger. Deep in the shadowed woods, a quiet breeze rustles some dry leaves. An unseen creature runs through the bush. A mangy, wild dog feeds on what was once a rabbit. Roaring around the bend comes an old Ford pickup. The terrified canine runs for its life into the woods. In the pickup are two men and an infamous hockey mask that once belonged to the notorious killer, Jason Voorhees. Driving the pickup with mad determination is Tommy Jarvis, and in the passenger seat is Alan Hawes.
3: I don't know how the hell you talked me into this, Jarvis. Hell, I must be crazy. If the old institution ever found out about this, boy, they'd throw our butts back in the straitjacket permanent.
1: You didn't have to come, Hawes. This is between me and Jason.
3: Yeah, I know, but, but I still, uh, I don't get uh, the therapy here. Jason's dead, right? How will, uh, Seeing his corpse, stop your hallucinations. Seeing it won't, but
1: destroying him once and for all
3: will.
2: Jason belongs in hell. I'm going to make sure he gets there. Tommy turns to look out the back window. In the bed of the truck is a huge can of gasoline and a crowbar. Dust kicks up as the old pickup races down the road. Lightning flashes, illuminating the woods. truck roars to a stop in front of a cemetery. Tommy gets out with Hawes behind him. Using his flashlight, he starts searching the tombstone, searching for just the right one. Thunder continues as fierce whistling wind attacks. Tommy's eyes squint to read each tombstone, looking for the one. Suddenly, he freezes and reads the tombstone. Jason Voorhees, at rest. As he stares, a deep terror chills his bones. Something else then catches his eye. Close to Jason's marker, we see another one. It reads... Pamela Voorhees, beloved mother. Tommy points. This is the one. The young men grab their shovels and start digging. The shovels plunge into the ground. A lightning blast punctuates and they remove the large chunk of grass and dirt. They begin to exhume the legendary killer's body. Tommy works feverishly. Hawes works nervously. Again and again, their shovels strike, digging the earth. They reach the coffin lid. Emmy, the crowbar. Are you sure you want to do this? I'm sure. Using the crowbar, Tommy loosens the coffin lid and hands the crowbar back to Hawes. They exchange a look and a deep breath. Then Tommy goes forward. His hands extend slowly towards the coffin. Tommy's fingers slip into the narrow space beneath the coffin lid. With all the courage he can muster, Tommy yanks the casket open, revealing the huge, decomposing body of Jason. Jason his head is completely covered by an army of disgusting maggots. Tommy climbs out of the grave and stares down at his nemesis. Tommy looks around. Seeing an old fence a few yards away, he heads for it.
3: Hey, where are you going?
2: Without a word, Tommy storms over to the rusty fence. He grabs one of the spear-like posts and pulls it out. With fire in his eyes, Tommy stalks Jason with the weapon.
3: What's that for? Tommy, what are you doing here, boy?
2: Tommy glares down hatefully at this monster who has destroyed his loved ones and his life. Raising the spear, he explodes and jumps down. You bastard! As he lands on the grave, Tommy plunges the spear down with a mighty force. Thunder and lightning blast hellishly in the air. The spear penetrates deep into Jason's heart. Oh, shit. Tommy withdraws it, then angrily rams it down again and again. The force of the blow causes many of the numerous maggots to start dropping off his face. Grossly decayed flesh is illuminated by the lightning. Exhausted, his rage finally vented, he dives a spear into Jason for the last time. Pots helps Tommy climb up. Boy, he
3: must have really messed you over.
2: Yeah. Fuck you, Jason. Tommy, knowing the nightmare is finally over, tosses the mask into the grave. He then bends down and starts to uncap the gas can. Without warning, the sky explodes with a mass of lightning. One of the bolts of electricity is drawn to the spear as a lightning rod. Sparks fly as the spear is struck and electrified. Tommy and Hawes dive for cover. Uncovering their heads, they look skyward in fear. Quickly, Tommy gets to his feet and goes for <sighs> the troublesome spear. The unintended lightning rod is still smoking a little from the blast. He touches it. It's hot. He pulls out a pair of gloves from his jacket, putting them on, and then he attempts to remove the spear. He can't get the proper leverage, though. So Tommy jumps down into Jason's grave. He struggles to pull the spear out. It's it's stuck in the bottom of the coffin.
3: Let's just get the hell out of here. My heart can't take any more of this.
2: As Tommy finally yanks the spear free, the eyes of Jason Voorhees come to life. Jason springs up from behind Tommy and grabs him. Paws screams as he starts to run. Tommy fights for his life and manages to kick Jason back down long enough to climb out. He scrambles for the gas can as the storm clowns detonate above. He gets it open, turns around, and starts throwing it on the rising corpse of Jason. The gas splashes all over him as he keeps coming. Panicking, he searches his pockets for matches. He finds them, desperately tries to light a match in the pounding rain.
1: Come on! Come on! Light! Light!
2: Pause, what are you doing? Eat shovel, you son of a bitch. He whacks the back of Jason's head as hard as he can, not even phasing Jason, who quickly whips around and lunges his arm into Hawes' chest. When he removes his arm, Jason is holding Hawes' still beating heart in his hand. Hawes falls into the coffin and the lid shuts down on top of him. Tommy, horrified and weaponless, he runs like hell. He races out of the cemetery to the pickup. He jumps into the truck and takes off in the rain. Back in the cemetery, Jason locates his mask and puts it on his now maggot-free face. Meaner, stronger, and more unstoppable than ever, Jason lives. From Cobras and Fire, a Pantheon podcast, this is Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives.
1: Missed this up, didn't you, Tommy? God, I I know we passed a police station on
2: on the way here. Yes, 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 there it is. Tommy's old pickup screeches up to the police station. He leaps from the truck and races for the office door. The sign on the door Forest Green County Sheriff's Department. Tommy bursts into the room.
3: Sheriff! That's far enough, son. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't shoot. You in show business, kid? You sure know how to make an entrance. Listen, you gotta do something.
1: Jason's alive! He killed my friend, and now he's coming for me.
3: Now you better cool out a minute, boy. You already almost got your head blown to pieces. Will you listen, dammit? Don't piss me off, Junior, or I'll repaint this office with your brains. Jason
1: is alive. We dug up his body, I was gonna cremate it, and...
3: Hold it! Whoa, what's your name, son? Tommy Jarvis. Listen, we gotta do something. He's more powerful now that. Aren't you the kid whose mother and friends were... Yeah, Jason murdered them, and... And you've been at some psychiatric clinic ever since, haven't you?
1: (sighs) Yes, but they released me because... The
2: door behind them burst open.
4: Stopped. Y'all owe me that five spot, partner.
3: Sorry, I didn't realize we had a visitor this late. No problem, Deputy. Come over here and meet a former resident here, Tommy Jarvis. He's got some kind of prank going about.
2: There's no time for this bullshit. Tommy bolts across the office and grabs one of the rifles from the rack. Jason's got to be stopped. Both lawmen die the crazy kid. Their food flies as they struggle to get the rifle away from the strong youth. Finally, the deputy pins Tommy's arms from behind. The sheriff yanks the rifle away.
3: Now well, that's what's known in the books as screwing the pooch. Deputy, iron this punk.
2: Tommy fights as the deputy throws him into the cell. The iron bars are slammed. No you got to listen. Jason's coming back here.
1: He's after me. I tried to destroy him, but I fucked it up.
3: Now you listen up. I'm sorry for what happened to you and your folks years ago, but no one in Forest Green wants to be reminded of what that maniac did here. That's why they changed the name to Forest Green. People want to forget this was once Crystal Lake, and they don't need some kid stirring up Jason's shit again.
1: Why didn't you guys cremate him?
3: They were gonna, but some asshole sent a lot of money to give Jason and his mother a decent burial. Now look, You just lie down and get some rest, and in the morning, I'll call that clinic and see if they, uh... Listen, if you just went to the cemetery, you'd see that I'm not lying. Either you go to sleep, or I'll come in there and put you out. You're gonna be sorry you didn't listen to me. You're gonna be sorry if you don't shut the fuck up.
2: Not far away, a funky VW bug bounces along a narrow, muddy road. A likable couple in their mid-twenties are obviously lost. Lizbeth... Drives and giggles, slap-happy from the long trip and late hour. Her boyfriend, Darren, struggles to read the map in the dim car light. A huge pothole causes him to bang his head up.
4: Will you slow down? It's hard enough to read this thing.
5: Well, who told me to take this cow path?
4: So much for the head counselors ever finding the camp on their own. I say we stop the car, get out, and start screaming for help.
2: The car comes to a drink.
4: I was just kidding, Elizabeth.
2: Darren looks at his girlfriend, who is staring fearfully out the windshield. Darren turns to look. Standing in the middle of the road, illuminated by the headlights, is Jason Voorhees. He holds the deadly spear before him.
3: Darren, you better turn around. Why? Why? Because I've seen enough horror movies to know masked weirdos are never friendly.
2: She starts to back up. Darren looks behind them, then grabs the wheel. The car tire almost rolls off the narrow road into a water-filled gully.
3: There's no
4: way we can do this if the car drops into that gully. We'll never get it out.
2: Jason stands his ground. He ain't backing down.
3: Do you have any alternate
4: suggestions? Yeah, we're gonna scare him. We're gonna scare him? That's right. Just drive toward him. He'll move. Nobody wants to die. Least of all us.
2: Lizbeth shakes her head, not believing she's actually going to try this. The car skips to a stop, inches from the stock still killer.
3: Yeah, that really scared the shit out of him.
2: Darren gets pissed. He leans over and blasts the horn.
4: Hey, man, get out of the road.
2: Jason gets pissed, too. He sp- he swings the spear and smashes out a headlight.
3: That's it. We're driving this baby back to town in reverse.
2: Darren, now angered, grabs her hand as he starts to shift. The hell we are. Darren opens the glove compartment and pulls out a twenty-two revolver. Where'd you get that? Don't worry about it. Just stay cool.
3: Stay cool? You ain't dirty, Harry. Now stop it!
2: Darren gets out of the car. He tries not to show it, but he's scared shitless. Jason watches Darren's every move. Darren heads toward Jason, holding the gun out with both hands. He clears his nervous throat.
3: All right,
4: scumbag. Get out of the road.
2: Now! Instantly, Jason rams the spear into the other headlight. He is now a very dark figure in front of the car.
4: Darren,
3: get in here now. He'll kill you.
2: Not if I get him first. Jason suddenly charges him. Darren fires, but the bullet either misses or it just doesn't affect Jason. He thrusts the spear forward. The spear drives right through Darren's stomach and out his body. Elizabeth goes hysterical. Effortlessly, Jason lifts up the impaled boy and tosses his limp body aside. Jason then turns his murderous gaze on Elizabeth. Elizabeth gasps. Quickly, she tries to drive away. Seeing something coming, she dives across to the other seat. Jason's spear smashes through the windshield and impales itself into the driver's seat Terrified, she crawls out the passenger door She falls into the muddy and water-filled gully alongside the road Jason withdraws his weapon from the car and heads for the victim Elizabeth struggles to stand She slips, badly twisting or breaking her ankle Looking back quickly, she's horrified The spear is poised He's coming Knowing it's hopeless to run, she tries a last-ditch effort to barter for her life Lying in the muddy water, Elizabeth digs into her pocket. She pulls out her wallet and removes her money and credit cards.
3: Don't kill me, please! You can have these.
2: She looks up and offers her valuables. But Jason is gone. She is amazed. Where did he go? What's the difference? She's safe. As she looks behind her, Jason's feet slam down in the water next to her head. She opens her mouth to scream. Jason raises the spear and rams it down toward her face. A spine-chilling crunch is heard. Her lifeless hand releases the money and credit cards it was clutching. The next morning at the sheriff's office, Tommy awakens from his sleep in his cell to the sound of voices. He sees a girl with a short new wave haircut tugging on the sheriff's arm.
3: Come on, Dad. You could have Rick drive down Cunningham Road to look for him. Megan, my deputy, has a more important things to do than look for camp counselors with car trouble. Couldn't you, like, put out an all points bulletin for them? That would be really wicked decent.
4: Darren and Elizabeth are in charge of organizing and setting up the new campgrounds. All the little
3: kids arrived today. We're not ready to deal with that alone. I can sympathize with you kids. The best I can do is call a station at Carpenter and have them keep a lookout for them.
1: I got a bad feeling about what might have
2: happened to them. Everyone turns to look. Tommy is gripping the cell's bars. His eyes connect with Megan.
1: You've got to convince the sheriff to look for your friends. Hopefully they're fine, but there's a very good chance that Jason... Shut up! Jason who? Megan, get away from him. He's dangerous. I'm not dangerous. Believe me, Jason is out there. He's looking for me. But there's every possibility he'll return to the camp where it all started.
3: I told you to shut your... You mean the Jason of Camp Blood? Yes! You kids better leave. Boy here is not Will and I need to talk to him in private. But Dad, we... Megan, take your friends back to the camp. I'll let you know if I hear anything about your counselors.
2: Don't beat him up too bad. He's kind of cute. Megan, leave. Megan struts away with a cool Lauren Bacall swagger. Once the door is closed, the steely-eyed sheriff leans in close to Tommy's face.
3: I was going to call the clinic and have them collect your ass. But I don't want you around here any longer poisoning my daughter or anyone else with your warped mind. But
1: they have to be warned, Sheriff. Jason will return to the area that's familiar to him. No matter what
2: you call it, it's still Camp Crystal Lake to him. The sheriff walks away, not listening to Tommy. He straps on his holster and puts on his coat.
3: We're going to escort you and that shit pile pickup of yours to the edge of my jurisdiction. And then we'll say goodbye and we'll never see your deranged butt around here again.
2: Right? Meanwhile, in the forest surrounding the body of water, formerly known as Crystal Lake, a bespeckled man in army fatigues and camouflage makeup pokes his head out of the bushes. Roy, wearing protective goggles, looks right-left, then hides back in the brush. In another area of the forest, there are two other businessmen, decked out in green jungle fatigues, looking like out-of-shape rambos. Stan and Larry are both carrying handguns, watching for any movement around them. They, too, wear goggles. Easy
4: peasy, Larry. Once we nail Roy, that's it. Victory is ours. This is
3: taking forever, Stan.
4: I'm starving. That's your problem, Larry. That's why your sales are always below quota. Your instinct to eat is stronger than your instinct to win. My ass? Yeah, that's fat too.
2: Larry and Stan are unaware they have caught the attention of someone else in the woods. Jason. He watches motionlessly as the two arguing men pass. You become a
3: whole other person when you're out here, Stan, and I don't like it. This is a man's game, requiring
4: a man's cunning and intelligence.
2: Suddenly, a figure explodes out of the brush. Larry and Stan react in terror. A goggle-wearing woman, also in army fatigues, has her revolver pointed at them. Katie fires at them. Both guys get splattered by red paint pellets.
1: With a woman's touch! Now wait a second. I thought Bird shot you. See any paint? Sorry, guys. I did it in Mr. Commando. Survival is the name of the game, and that flag is mine. Never should have let her play. It's a damn company
4: executive game, and she's a damn company exec. Now, now, boys, don't be spoil
1: sports.
2: <laughs> Not far from the paintballers is the renamed Camp Forest Lake. The freshly painted and beautifully renovated cabin retreat gleams in the bright sunlight. Even the lake itself shimmers, free of any memories of its horrid past. Megan, Court, Paula, and Sissy carry food supplies from their car to the cabin.
3: I'm getting worried, Court.
2: About Jason?
3: No, about Darren and Lizbeth. They should have at least called, don't you think? Megan. Megan.
2: Megan's mind is definitely on something. Or someone else.
3: Huh?
5: Yeah? What? This girl's back in the cell with her prisoner of love. What's it to you? Don't be playing with no crazy jailbird. Those dudes are bad news. Yeah, how would you know? I've been around long enough to see plenty on TV uh...
3: I don't know, Megan He seemed pretty weird with all that Jason stuff
1: Yeah, he was really into it
4: Maybe he was telling the truth And just because our parents keep telling us that Jason was only a legend Doesn't it mean it wasn't true What if Jason did come back here And you do know what today's date is, don't you? I can only think of one thing even more terrifying.
2: What? Just then, a big yellow bus pulls up into the cave. The doors fly open. A group of screaming youngsters pile out. The counselors scare in dread. How are they going to handle this?
5: I think I'd rather deal with old Jason.
2: Back to the forest, a machete is seen. We follow the deadly weapon as it's carried through the woods. Reaching some heavy brush, it hacks away at it. Bert, a real Rambo Commando clone in painted, splattered fatigues, whacks angrily at the bushes. Of all the would-be hunters, he looks like he takes the game almost too seriously. He wears a Commando belt loaded with a survival knife, devil darts, and a machete sheath. Like his partners, he too is a sore loser. He hacks away, he mumbles, curses about this stupid game. He raises the machete higher as he attacks the defenseless bushes. Suddenly, a horribly disfigured hand grabs his hand, stopping the machete in mid swing. Shocked, Bert whips around and gasps at the masked Jason. Jason's iron grip turns the hunter's hand with the machete toward the bug eyed face. Jason forces the helpless man to stare at the weapon in his own hand that's about to take his life. He then plunges the razor sharp blade through his neck. Bert's corpse drops. The gaping wound through his throat bubbles out bloody air bubbles. He stares at the light. Back at the cemetery, the crusty old caretaker Martin stares down in utter horror. His bloodshot alcoholic eyes widen at what they see. He stands over Jason's dug-up grave, cursing at what has happened.
1: Oh, shit, shit, shit!
2: He takes out a pint of whiskey from his coat. takes a strong slug and winces. With hangover equilibrium, he paces, nervous and afraid.
4: Oh, oh, why me? I know he's going to blame me for this.
2: Martin looks around quickly. He decides to cover up the open grave. He starts throwing all the evidence into the hole, then grabbing the shovel, begins filling it in. Shovel loads of dirt and mud slam down on the coffin. Haw's foot is seen sticking out of the casket.
4: Shitheads couldn't even stick him back in right. Well, I ain't gonna touch that slimy sucker. My boss can't find out. He'll think I ain't doing my job. I need that money. He won't find out. No one's gonna know. I need my money. (laughs)
2: Just outside of town, Tommy drives with incredible anxiety down the forest road. He glances up in his rearview mirror. Sheriff Garrison and his deputy are following close behind in their police car, keeping a stern eye on Tommy. The sheriff shakes his head.
3: It's kind of frightening to think a kid like that can go so far over the edge. Jason really screwed up this poor son of a bitch's mind.
2: Yeah,
4: he really
3: believes Jason's still alive, doesn't he? Yeah, but that's not what worries me the most. It's how far he'll go to try to prove it.
2: Tommy's pickup with the sheriff's car right on his tail roars down the road. Back in the forest, Roy has still not been found. Hiding behind a tree, the little man with funny-shaped glasses watches for any unseen assassin. In his ill-fitting fatigues, he dashes from behind one tree to another. His foot catches in some vines and he takes a fall. The paint pellet gun flies from his hand and vanishes into the falling leaves. He scrambles on his hands and knees to find the weapon. Panicking, he'll be seen and shot. Royce starts to whimper as he searches. Not far away, Katie, Stan, and Larry walk along, looking for their missing players, holding up the other team's flag victoriously.
4: Come on, you guys. The game's over. You don't know for sure. What about Roy? Nobody's seen him. Of course not. If he hasn't already accidentally pelleted
1: himself, I'm sure he's lost.
4: Yeah, but the game's not over until it's over.
3: Yeah, that's right. Shh. Wait a second.
2: What was that? Everyone freezes, listening intently. All three stand stock still, looking around and listening. Not hearing a thing, Stan relaxes.
4: Ah, uh, Nothing.
2: I could swear I heard. Jason slams down before them. He quickly withdraws the machete from his newly acquired commando belt. With one violent slice, the blade slashes their throats. The razor sharp machete opens up all three throats almost simultaneously. It happens so fast, they barely have time to even gasp. The three heads drop off, followed by collapsing bodies. Jason watches them fall, then looks up at something. Terrified beyond belief is Roy. He stands a few yards away in a small clearing. He wastes no times as he stalks the final hunter. So incredibly frightened, he doesn't think as he raises his gun at Jason and fires. The blood-red paint pellet makes a direct hit on Jason's chest. He stops and glances down at this annoying mess. As he looks up at Roy, he's even more pissed off. He lunges for him. Roy screams, drops the gun, and runs for his life. Jason is hell-bent on catching this nerd. Tears of terror are welling up as the poor guy races. Jason, a short distance behind him, machete poised and ready. Roy quickly glances back, then screams as he heads through the ugly charred forest.
1: Oh God, help me! Somebody help! He's trying to kill me!
2: (laughs) With the sheriff escorting him out of town, Tommy stares at the upcoming sign for the Eternal Peace Cemetery at the approaching turnoff. He glances up in his rearview mirror again. Biting his lip, he decides to go for it. Tommy's pickup makes a sudden (laughs) laugh and heads down the road towards the cemetery, angering the following sheriff.
3: Bucking a. what I tell you, hit the noise and cherries, deputy. Maybe we better call that psychiatric clinic.
2: Better call an ambulance first. The sheriff's car accelerates and gains on the pickup. The high-speed chase continues down the narrow dirt road. Tommy's old pickup skids to a stop in front of the open gate at the cemetery. He leaps out of the truck as the sheriff screeches up next to him. Tommy races into the old cemetery. The sheriff and his deputy are running close behind. Tommy sprints across the boneyard in the direction of Jason's grave. In his eyes, there is now the hope that they'll see he's telling the truth. He heads towards where Jason's open grave was. He squints his eyes. Maybe he's in the wrong area. He slows down to look around, and he is violently tackled by the sheriff. Angry and out of breath, the sheriff pins him down to cuff him. Tommy struggles to get up. I
1: I, I gotta show you Jason's grave. I've seen it. Please, Sheriff. Sheriff.
2: Finally handcuffing him, the sheriff yanks him to his feet. Gripping Tommy's arm with one hand, he points at something.
3: Well, he must have got chilly in the night and pulled the dirt back over.
2: Tommy looks around to where the sheriff is pointing. The boy is astounded by what he sees. About 12 yards away are Jason and his mother's tombstones. From this distance, it's impossible to tell that the chunks of lawn over Jason's grave have been replaced. Tommy shakes his head in utter disbelief. That, That's not right. Somebody must have covered it up. The sheriff yanks him back. The deputy pulls a, his 357 revolver with a laser scope attached. He aims it at Tommy's head. Now, see what
3: you've done? You made my deputy draw his revolver. That could be a serious headache for you. Now, he's been dying to try out this new mail order laser scope. It's a damn impressive piece of high tech weaponry. Wherever the red dot goes, the bullet is sure to follow. What's the problem, Sheriff? Nothing, Martin. Just a vagrant
2: kid, and we got it under control. As they leave, Tommy looks back at the old man. Who covered up Jason's grave? Martin stops abruptly and tries to hide his nervousness.
3: What? What are you talking about? Don't concern yourself, Martin. This boy needs treatment. We're taking care of it. Sorry for the disturbance.
2: Jason's not in his coffin. Hawses, dig it up. You gotta dig it up. Martin watches with extreme uneasiness as Tommy is thrown into the back of the squad car. The deputy gets into Tommy's pickup and follows the sheriff's car. Pulling out his near-empty bottle of Jack Daniels, the caretaker downs it all. With a noisy exhale, Martin glances back at Jason's grave.
4: Dig it up! Hell, what kind of butthole does he think I am?
2: Back at the camp, Megan is doing her best to get things organized with the campers, speaking to a group of girls.
4: And then after that, we'll swim, hike, and have
5: lots of fun together, okay? Okay. Sissy, where's Court gone off to? Are you ready for this, Paula? He's taking our young man off to teach them their favorite sport. Which is? Boy scouting. (laughs) You gotta be kidding.
2: At a different location in the camp, Court is kneeling on the path, positioning two rocks. He's surrounded by a group of bored, arms-folded preteen boys. No,
1: seriously. The Indian scout would arrange the rocks in such a way that, like, only his
2: fellow Indians would know. You know... Which way he went, you know? One of the boys leans into another equally bored youngster.
4: If this is exciting as it gets, we're in big trouble, dude.
2: (laughs) Away from the unsuspecting campers and counselors, Jason stalks through the blackened woods, wearing a commando belt, displaying a knife and devil darts, a bloody machete in his hand. This undead killing machine keeps coming. There's a slight fog moving in as night approaches on the outskirts of town. Off on the side of the road, Sheriff Garris opens his back seat door. He pulls Tommy out of the vehicle. Gruffly, he turns him around and uncuffs him. Whipping him back around, the sheriff grabs him by the shirt and pulls him uncomfortably close.
3: I don't find it amusing that the nut house you belong in thinks you're responsible enough to leave you here unescorted. In fact, it gripes my ass. You've been damn lucky, pisshead. With all the grief you've caused me and my partner, you should be leaving wearing your balls as earrings.
2: I think we should do it to him anyway.
3: Nah but if we see old Tommy ever again, you can guarantee it.
2: Both lawmen turn, climb back into the car. Tommy waits there as they pull out and drive away. Tommy watches as they disappear down the highway. Slowly, the boy's stubborn determination returns. He rushes towards his old pickup. Behind it, the sun is setting. Back at the campground, things are peaceful and quiet. A foggy haze covers everything. As tranquil as it seems, somebody from the woods is watching. Inside the counselor's cabin, Paula and Sissy are seated at a card table playing the board game Clue. Paula keeps looking toward the window, troubled by something. Sissy rolls the die and moves her token along the board.
5: Okay, 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 I suggest the crime was committed in the bedroom by Colonel Mustard and with the knife. Huh? Oh, come on, sis. I'm telling you, we can't play Clue with just two people. Why not? I used to play it alone. I love murder games. Have you ever played The Consulting Detective No? Did Megan say when she was coming back from her... visit? Of course not. She probably took him a loaf of bread with a saw hidden in it. I still don't get it. Why him? I mean, he's cute, all right, but... Isn't that enough? You're right. And for this area, that even makes him overqualified.
3: I want to call her at the old jailhouse. Maybe her dad has found out what happened to Darren and Elizabeth by now. I can't believe they haven't called. I say if they're not here by morning, we'll send all the kids home. We're not prepared to run this place by ourselves.
2: Suddenly, a child's horrified scream echoes through the camp. Hanging up the phone, Paula races out the door, followed by Sissy. They run in the direction of the scream, which leads them to the steps of the girls' dormitory. They burst in. A little girl in pajamas rushes towards them. She points at a cot across the way. She saw
5: a monster. Who did? She did. Nancy
2: did. Huddled up on her cot and pressed against the wall is Nancy. The sweet-faced nine-year-old is frightened out of her wits. Her big blue eyes are filled with tears.
3: Hi, everything's all
5: right now. We're here. Yeah, we're here. So what happened? There was this
1: monster. He was after me. He wanted to kill me. Where?
5: Everywhere. You mean you had a bad dream? No, he was real, like on
3: TV. Okay, (laughs) listen, what's your name, sweetie? Nancy. Well, Nancy, I'm Paula. Remember? This is Sissy. We're going to be right out there all night so nothing can hurt you, okay? Okay. Good. So no more bad dreams come around here, huh? No more.
2: Paula smiles lovingly at her, then stands. As Paula and Sissy start to leave, Sissy gets cocky addressing the others. Now y'all go back to Z-land. We're on the job. And you
5: don't have to worry about shit. I'm sure they heard worse at home.
3: I just realized something.
5: Where's Court? I haven't seen him for hours. I don't know. He called somebody, then took off. He didn't say anything? Yeah, he was going to check out things that go bump in the night.
2: In a nearby campground, a lone RV bounces and pumps to the beat of loud rock music within. Surrounded by a heavy fog, bright light beams from the windows of the mobile home. A cord extends from the vehicle and is plugged into the power outlet of this isolated trailer campground. Inside the RV... Heavy metal music blasts as Cort and a savagely sexy Jill make love to the beat. With her on top, Cort is really getting his bump in the night. He just lies back and enjoys her skilled technique. She moans and bites her lip with erotic pleasure, never missing a beat with the music. Jill even bumps and grinds perfectly to the song's drum breaks.
4: This song is the best. The best. You gotta keep it up till the end of the
1: song. I'm trying. How much longer? Only ten more minutes.
2: Outside the RV from a short distance back, Jason watches the rock and rollin' RV. He stands in the foggy wood and watches, too. He doesn't like it, and he's gonna do something about it. He walks to where the power cord is plugged in and tears it out, leaving the plug sparking in the outlet. The RV's bright lights, music, and bouncing instantly retard and cease.
0: Oh, fuck.
2: Dim moonlight spills through the window. Jill jumps off court and starts to investigate the problem. Court sits up quickly.
4: Wait a second, Court. You didn't already come?
2: Huh. I thought that was the end of the song. Great. Just great. She stumbles through the RV, shivering. She puts on her coat and heads towards the AC power switch.
4: If this thing's burned out, frickin' Steve will ground my butt. Who's Steve? My frickin' stepfather and asshole in residence.
2: Jill flips the switch a couple times. Nothing. She presses her face against the window and looks out. The power cord is seen lying on the ground below. How did that happen? What? Go out
4: and plug the cord back in. What? Who pulled it out? Smokey the frickin' bear. I don't know. Just do it.
2: Nervously, he starts to get dressed. He opens the door of the RV tentatively. Court sticks his head out and slowly looks around.
4: Will you hurry up? I gotta get this fuckmobile back before Steve finds out I took it.
1: All
2: right, all right! Court walks around the RV, watching everything around him. It's getting tense. Apprehensively, Court approaches the cord and picks it up. He keeps staring out at the surrounding, drifting fog. Without looking at it, the jittery boy starts to plug the cord in. He then notices the torn plug and frayed cord. Court gasps. He turns to call Jill, only to find she is nervously standing right behind him.
5: What
1: are you doing? This cord wasn't unplugged. It was ripped apart. And unless you want to look exactly like it, I say we make this place a memory.
2: Jill looks down at it. The horribly ripped and torn cord and does look quite grotesque, and deadly fear now grips her. Slowly, then picking up speed, she follows after cord. Stopping at the RV's doorway, Jill rushes up and turns to look at what he's staring at.
1: I think someone's out
2: there. Is it a
1: tree in the shadows, or... I don't want to know.
2: She climbs in, slams the door, and locks it. Court jumps into the driver's seat. He tries to start the car. It's dead. He looks at Jill in terror. This can't be! Jill shakes her head at him. It isn't. She calmly turns the power switch over to battery. Court tries the ignition again. It starts up. He grins at her.
4: Are you going to drive or not?
2: Quickly, he shifts and roars backward. Jill is thrown to the floor. Items fall off the counters. Jill is now sent flying backward towards the camper. She lands on the bed. She sends a burning stare at the back of Court's head. Court laughs loudly as he races down the bumpy dirt road. Jill tries to control her temper. Enough things have gone wrong tonight without having this idiot destroy her old man's RV.
4: That's it. Pull over. I'm driving.
5: No way! I want a rock!
2: Jill heads towards him. Without warning, Jason explodes out of the bathroom. He yanks her to him. The door slams shut. Obliviously, Court head enthusiastically to the loud rock music. He whoops, then looks up at the rearview mirror. Not seeing Jill, he turns and looks around. Jill is not there, but a ruckus can be heard coming from the tiny bathroom. It sounds like you're having some fun in there! Need some company? Inside the bathroom, Jason's vice-like grip squeezes her throat. She gasps and gags as his fingers begin to meet. Her nose bleeds. His soulless eyes stare down at her from behind the mask. Jason's fingers connect. Her throat collapses. Court is still rocking out behind the wheel. He checks the rearview mirror again.
1: Hey, what are you doing? Taking a dump? How about if I come back and snatch a peek, or vice versa?
2: As he cackles with amusement, Jason throws open the door. Court doesn't hear him. Slowly, he closes in on Court. Court drives, oblivious to the Grim Reaper standing right behind him. He looks up into the rearview mirror. Jason's hockey face mask glares at him. Court recoils in horror. Jason grabs him by the hair. Lifting up the gleaming blade, he plunges the jagged knife into his ear. We watch in eerie silence as Jason lets go of Court's knifed head. The lifeless boy flops over the wheel. Immediately, the RV veers off to the left. the sheriff's office.
3: What makes you so high and mighty? You keep forgetting little Megan. I'm the parent. And you're the child. When are you going to stop treating me like one? When you stopped acting like one. Tommy Jarvis is a very sick boy. How do you know? Did you take his temperature? You watch that smart mouth, young lady.
4: Kind of hard to see it from this angle. Got a mirror?
2: Megan enjoys pushing her temperamental father to the limit. He stops around like Ralph Cramden.
4: Now you tell
3: me,
2: If your mother was alive, you wouldn't. The poor sheriff finally blows sky high. He throws open the door.
3: That's it. Out. I don't need this tonight. Out, Megan.
2: The sheriff gets a call over the shortwave. Unintimidated by his bellowing, Megan calmly answers it.
4: Sheriff's office, can you hold on? He's in the can draining his lizard.
2: The sheriff slams the door and roars towards his precocious daughter.
4: Oh, here he comes now. Daddy, it's
2: Rick. The growling sheriff practically rips the receiver out of snickering Megan's hand.
4: What? What kind of problem? You better get down here. I found what's left of the counselors. They look like someone did them in using Jason's old M.O.
3: I knew I should have done something about that son of a... Where are you? Right. I'm on my way. What is it? Not what. Who. Seems your boyfriend wants people to believe Jason is returned. I thought Jason was only a legend. He is. Only Tommy wants to prove the legend is true. You stay put, and I'm not kidding.
2: Grabbing his rifle, the sheriff rushes out. Megan sits alone at the desk, waiting. A large window is right behind her. Bored, she puts her feet on the edge of the desk. She then leans back towards the window, seeing how far back the chair will go and stay balanced. Suddenly, the phone rings loudly. It startles Megan, who falls backwards.
4: Sheriff's office. No, I'm sorry. He's not in at the moment. Can I take a message?
2: As she listens, Megan immediately straightens up, realizing it's Tommy on the phone.
4: Oh, hi. I'm Megan, his daughter. Remember, I met you this morning.
1: Yeah. Hi. Listen, I've got to talk to your dad about Jason. I've got a plan. I need to buy some things first, but mainly I need help too.
4: Uh, Tommy, my father is out looking for you right now. Something happened tonight, and he's sure
1: you're responsible. If he finds you, he'll.: I already have a very good idea what could have happened, Megan. Listen. Jason is out there. He has to be stopped. I'm positive he's heading back to the lake area, and he's gonna keep killing until I'll pick you up. Where are you?: I don't
4: think it's the only way. My father will nail you in your car in a second. Where are you?
2: A horse's service station and feedback stop. I think it's... I know where it is. See you in
4: a half hour.
2: Hearing her hang up, Tommy does the same and exits the booth. He looks around, shivers and zips up his jacket. He's worried about involving Megan in this. He's worried for himself. Back in the woods, out of the foggy shadows, an evil specter emerges into the moonlight. Jason. He stares at the front entrance of Camp Forest Green, the site of the former Camp Crystal Lake. The renovated campsite looks quite peaceful and calm. He cocks his head, not quite sure why it looks so different, but it feels like home. With machete in hand, he proceeds into the campground. Outside the campgrounds, Jason's machete blade cuts the phone cord in half. He stares at his handiwork, then heads towards the lit open window. Paula has fallen asleep on her bed with her phone right next to her. Sissy is wearing headphones, listening to her Walkman. She sits on her bed, ogling through the pages of Playgirl magazine. The magazine is filled with beefcake-posing guys. She is practically drooling on the pages. In the background, a figure quickly passes by the open window. The movement catches her eye. She cranes her head to look. Sissy shuts off her Walkman. She walks over to the window and looks out. All is still and motionless in the campground. She knows she saw something. She starts to turn away when the sound of leaves crunching on her foot is heard. She sticks her head out the window, trying her best to sound authoritative.
5: All right, who's out there? What's going on, Sissy? I think someone's messing around out there, Paula. It's gotta be Court. He loves to scare people.
3: Teach him a lesson.
2: Sissy hears footsteps right below the window. She thinks, then breaks into an impish grin. Seeing something, Sissy quietly tiptoes over to the table and picks up her half-consumed can of cherry Coke. Trying not to laugh, she sneaks back to the window. She crouches down, then slowly extends the can outside. Her hands turn it over, and the sticky cherry coke pours down on her victim. Quickly, she withdraws the can and jumps back from the window. Expecting a response, she is surprised to not get one. Stifling a laugh, she creeps back toward the window. Tension mounts as she reaches the frame and tentatively peers over it. Shockingly, Jason springs up and grabs her and violently throws her out the window. Paul awakens just as Sissy's legs fly through the window.
3: Hey, you guys! Try not to wake up the kids.
2: Back in town, Megan's orange Camaro screeches up to Tommy, waiting in the phone booth. I'm going
1: to borrow your car. You can't do this with me. It's much too dangerous. And you can't leave that truck out
4: in plain sight. Talk about dangerous. Hide it behind the gas station. Then we can
1: get the hell out of here. This isn't a game. You're not going with me. I'm already responsible for causing the death of...
4: Didn't you say you needed some supplies?
1: Uh, yes,
4: but... Then let's get going. We can argue on the way. You tell me what you need. I'll make sure you get it. And nobody drives this baby but me. Now get that pickup, Hid,
2: and let's go. There isn't much he can say. With an exasperated sigh, he runs to move his truck. Back at the girls' dormitory cabin, we see a row of sleeping children. Each has her own unique position of slumber. We pull back to reveal the large windows just above them beaming in moonlight. Jason's silhouette carrying Sissy's headless corpse passes on the opposite wall. We follow the evil shadow as it crosses more sleeping kids. When it falls across little Nancy, her half-open eyes flash open. She sits up in wide-eyed fear. Across the campground in the counselor's cabin, Paula is sound asleep. The sound of a door opening causes her to stir. Sensing someone over her, Paula opens her eyes. She gasps. A bloody machete is held out before her. Little Nancy stands over Paula, holding the machete. I,
5: I can't sleep, Paula. I'm scared. I saw someone at the window. And... Where'd you get this? I found it
3: outside.
2: Paula doesn't know what to think. Looking around the cabin and not seeing anyone, she draws some rapid conclusions.
3: You know what? Sissy and Carr are playing jokes. You know, trying to scare each other. Why? Well, grown-ups think it's funny to get scared. What? Are they grown-ups? That's debatable. Huh? Never mind. Boy, it sure is late. Why don't we try and find Sissy in court, and then you can go back to
2: sleep. She takes Nancy's hand and they head for the door.
3: But but what if they try to scare us? (laughs) Well, we'll scare them right back.
2: Nancy giggles with (laughs) delight. They exit the cabin door. (laughs) (laughs) Not far away, Megan's hot Camaro jets down the road, kicking up dust. Tommy shoots Megan a look. Can this tub go any faster? She returns a flirtatious grin. You got it. Just keep an eye out for roadblocks. Sure thing. There's one. As they round the bend, two police cars with lights a-flashing are blocking the road. (laughs) Megan's car skids to a stop. Tommy looks at the tempestuous Megan for a plan. She delivers. Grabbing his head, she slams it down into her lap. Get down. Tommy stares bug-eyed as he confronts her tight jean crotch. She slams the car into reverse. The orange bomber roars backwards down the road. The two police cars spring into action and give chase.
1: Unit 45, Officer Pappas to Sheriff Garris. Do you copy? Yeah, I'm here. What? Got a different vehicle that just turned tail, seeing us. Saw somebody duck down. Got a description or plates? The whole enchilada. It's an 82 Orange Camaro, licensed CCL 057.
3: Son of a shitting bitch. That's my daughter's car. How should we proceed, sir? With extreme care, for God's sake. If that kid is with her, there's every good chance that he'll do something crazy.
2: Back in Megan's car, she continues to help his face in her lap. Please don't do anything crazy.
3: I know
1: what I'm doing.
4: I got your supplies for you, didn't I? Now, if I can get you to Cunningham Road, I can lose them. Just stay where you
2: are. He puts his head back down and stares at the view. Whatever you say. Megan's car rose on, followed by the two police cars. The Camaro's headlights illuminate the windy path. Enormous trees stand dangerously close to the curved road. Our strong-willed heroine is determined to reach her destination. All three vehicles' tires squeal on the hazardous curves. Inside the car, Megan's wild driving causes Tommy's head to roll around on her lap. He tries to be discreet about where it keeps landing. That's what I want. Megan keeps her eyes on the road, which she sees ahead, has her beaming with confidence. Two signposts are seen: one reads Cunningham Road, the other, Camp Forest Green, with an arrow pointing right.
4: This is going to be a hairy turn. Grab a hold
2: of something. Her car screams around the turn onto Cunningham Road. Shockingly, her father and his car are waiting in the dark for them. The deputy and his car are right behind the sheriff. Both have their rifles aimed and ready. Megan's car barely has enough room to break. The Camaro fishtails to a stop. The sheriff remains stock still, not flinching at all. With a deadly cool, he orders his daughter... Megan, step out of the car! Looking out the window, she stares in horror at her father. She's never seen him point a gun at her. But then again, she's never pulled a stunt like this. Megan then looks down at her feet. Tommy is sprawled across the floorboard, his face between Megan's feet. He stares at her in utter dread.
4: It's all over.
2: No, it's just the beginning. (laughs) Back at the campground... Paula leads Nancy down the steps. She makes a game out of quietly sneaking around looking for missing counselors. For the child, this is fun. In the dark shadows, Jason watches the two giggling girls. He waits for a moment. For Jason, this is fun. We return to the sheriff's office where Tommy, in a jail cell, is desperately trying to get the sheriff to hear him out.
1: I said shut up. All he's asking for is you to check it out. Listen, you got me where you want me. There's no reason not to. If I had you who I really wanted
3: you, they'd be pumping your ass full of formaldehyde. Daddy, can't you at least call the camp and make sure everything's all right? We have. Trying to track you down. The phone there is disconnected. Doesn't that tell you something? Yeah. Should have paid their phone bill.
2: In the background, we hear a call coming on the radio. Deputy Colonas is heard answering it. The sheriff points at Tommy.
3: You just sit tight, Jason. Once the authorities from Carpenter get here, you'll... Uh, sheriff, you better take
2: this. The sheriff takes the phone.
3: Sheriff Garris. Approximately what time? I'll be right there.
2: The sheriff grabs his coat and hat to leave. Megan runs up to him.
3: What? What happened? Rick, keep an eye on our wacko kid. I'll be right back as soon as I can. Daddy, what is going on? And make sure my daughter stays put.
2: She's grounded. Megan steps in his path as he turns to go. She pushes against his chest as hard as she can. Tell me... The sheriff immediately raises his hand to strike her, then quickly controlling himself, he grabs her by the shoulders.
3: They just found your friend, Court, and some girl. She was brutally strangled, and Court has a knife rammed through his skull.
2: Megan shakes her head in disbelief.
3: No, no, it's not. Yes, Megan. Tommy Jarvis is a killer. A very deranged boy who wants you to believe that he. Jason did it! I
2: swear, Sheriff! When were they murdered? The sheriff disregards Tommy's question and stares at his daughter with sincere concern.
3: For God's sake, stay away from him. Please,
2: Maggie. As he stares and starts again to leave, Megan, still in shock from the news, grabs her father's arm.
3: Dad, what time were they murdered? They think somewhere around 8.30 or 9.
4: I was with Tommy all that time.
2: This obviously hits the sheriff on more than one level. He masks his reaction, turns and heads for the door.
3: Rick, I'll call you when I get there.
2: He exits and slams the door. Megan, with sorrowful eyes, looks back at Tommy as he slams both fists against the bars. Back at the campground, Paula and Nancy are tiptoeing around the girl's cabin, trying not to awaken the other children. Reaching little Nancy's bed, Paula tucks her in snugly. She crouches next to the child.
3: I'm sure Court and Sissy are back in their cabins, so you just go back to sleep and don't worry.
4: But what if I get scared of them? Shh.
3: You know what I used to do when I was a little girl and I got scared? I would close my eyes and say a little prayer. And then soon, you know what? Everything scary went away. It worked for me, and I'll bet it worked for you too. Good night, and see you in the morning.
2: As she stands up, we see Jason glaring at them through the window. Unaware of the evil that lurks, Paula smiles tenderly at Nancy. Nancy smiles back at her, rolls over, and closes her eyes. She begins to quietly head for the door. Jason follows right along outside from window to window. Paula exits the dormitory door as silently as possible. She looks around the area, still very concerned about her companions. A gentle breeze is blowing away from the evening fog. The trees and bushes seem to shiver nervously as she slowly descends down the steps. Somehow, she can sense her deadly fate. Paula looks around again, then hurries towards the cabin. She races across the camp to the counselor's cabin. She rushes up to the cabin to finds the door closed. She seems relieved. Sissy? As Paula enters, she is disappointed to find it empty. She hurries to the phone and starts dialing. For the first time, she realizes the phone is dead. Her frustration turns to alarm when she notices something at her feet. The machete she left on the floor is gone. Bloody stains on the floor mark where it had lain. Paula hears a noise and turns to look to see the door open. It moves a bit. Was it the wind or is someone behind it? Not sure if it's a joke or her imagination, Paula slowly heads towards it tension mounts. Just as she reaches it, she slowly extends her hand to grab the knob. Suddenly, the wind blows it towards her. She backs up, slams it shut. No one, of course, is there. She giggles at herself and reopens the door. Jason is right there in the doorway. Back at the sheriff's office, Deputy Colon is hunched over his desk, doing what he hates most, filling out reports. He glances at Batami, then over at Megan. At first glance, it appears to be idly sketching something on a large pad. Tommy sits on his jail coat, head in hands, hopeless. Megan looks up at the deputy, then over at Tommy. She waves for his attention. He glances up at her. She hasn't been doodling. Not at all. She holds up the sketch pad for him to read. As she does, his eyes widen, amazed at what she's written. He mouths, Are you sure? As she lowers the pad, she nods a strong affirmative. Tommy gets up off his coat and stretches nonchalantly. He eyes the deputy, then Megan. She flips over the page and starts to actually doodle. (sighs) So what are you drawing? What's it to you? Looking up, the irritated deputy tries to
1: stop the chatter. Hey, pipe down, Jarvis. Hey, I was just curious about what she was drawing. Megan holds
2: up the pad for Tommy to see.
4: There, you happy?
2: No. Why? Because it stinks. Megan throws a sketch pad at him. It bounces off the bars. He reaches down and grabs it and pulls it into his cell. Megan stands up defiantly and heads toward the cell. Okay, give it back come and get it you
4: bastard Megan I'll get it
2: Megan is already in front of the cell she reaches through the bars for the pad give it to me punk suddenly he grabs her arm pulls her to the bars and starts kissing her passionately the more she struggles the tighter he envelops her the deputy races across the room awkwardly he grapples to secure them as they battle Megan's hand secretly reaches down and pulls the gun from the deputy's holster Megan allows herself to be torn from Tommy's embrace the angry deputy reaches at Tommy who backs away into the cell
4: You stinking maggot, I oughta let him out of here. Come on, Megan, don't clown around. I ain't the one with the funny red nose. Open the cell and
1: exchange
2: places with him
1: now. You better do as she says, because wherever the red
2: dot goes, a bullet is sure to follow. The deputy reluctantly removes his keys and turns toward Tommy. You brainwashed her, you son of a bitch. Yeah, something like that. Tommy and Megan fly out the door and race towards the Camaro. Got the keys? No, he took them, but I got my hide-a-key. Tommy rushes up and
1: grabs it from her. Sorry, Megan, not this time. Wait a minute, I just... I thank you for getting me
2: out, but I've got to finish what I started. She stares defiantly at him as she opens the door and gets in. She suddenly slides over to the passenger seat.
4: Well, come on, hot lips, let's go. You'll drive, I'll navigate.
2: Tommy throws up his hands and climbs in. The car starts up and roars down the road. Back at the campground, Jason patrols the children's cabin Slumbering soundly, they have no awareness of the monster at the edge of their beds Jason reaches the end of the dormitory with his back to us He stops, senses something, and whips around He glares at something with evil intent He's awakened Nancy The terrified child's eyes peek from under the sheet She ain't dreaming The monster is real Jason stands out and stares at Nancy at the other end of the cabin He then stalks her Outside, Sheriff Garris pulls into the campsite. Another patrol car with Officer Pappas and Thornton pulls up behind him. The wind is getting stronger as it whips through the trees. Back at the cabin, Jason stands over Nancy's bed. The child is frozen in pure terror. She can't even cry out. She squeezes her eyes shut and begins to pray very quickly.
1: Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take.
2: Jason hears the car doors slam outside. His face turns towards the noise. He immediately heads for it. With her eyes still tightly shut, Nancy continues to pray, unaware that her monster is gone. Outside, Sheriff Garris surveys the campground suspiciously. The two officers approach him. So what's the story here?
3: Why don't you boys nose around? I gotta break the news to Megan's friends about what happened. Holler if you see anything. Like what? Anything that don't belong. And don't wake the kids.
2: The two officers take out their flashlights. They spread out and scan the area. The raging wind causes everything to whistle and move. The sheriff heads towards the counselor's cabin and knocks on the door. It creakily opens as he knocks. Girls, it's Sheriff Garris. Slowly, he opens the door and sticks his head in. What he sees horrifies him. The entire room is splattered with blood. It drips from the ceiling and streaks down the walls. He quickly bolts from the room. The sheriff races down the steps and heads for the children's dormitories. (laughs) Down at the boat landing, Officer Thornton's flashlight scans the two boats along the small dock. Nothing unusual here. Jason is watching the lone cop. His hand withdraws a long, razor-sharp devil dart from his commando belt. The unsuspecting cop concludes his search of the landing and turns around. The flashlight now focuses on the woods before him. Jason is illuminated. He raises up the sinister dart the officer recognizing a weapon in the prowler's hand he goes for his revolver with supernatural strength jason throws the deadly projectile at the officer before he can pull his gun the double dart impales itself deep into his forehead the force of it sends him reeling back into a tarp-covered boat his lifeless eyes stare up at the sky over at the boys dormitory cabin a row of sleeping boys stacking z's in their cots Standing in the doorway, the sheriff quietly closes the door. The panicked sheriff now rushes across to the girls' dorm. As silently as possible, he opens the door and peeks in. He carefully surveys all the slumbering occupants. Mm -hmm. The sheriff suddenly registers alarm. All the girls are nestled contentedly in their beds except one. The covers have been kicked off and her pillow lies on the floor. Little Nancy is missing. (laughs) Not far away, the orange Speed Demon Camaro rockets down a windy road. Megan and Tommy race to the former Camp Crystal Lake, hoping to get there in time to stop Jason. Megan, sitting shotgun, stares open-mouthed at Tommy, who is driving like a man possessed.
4: Let me know when we're about to blast into hyperspace. I'll fasten my seatbelt.
2: I got a bad feeling we're already too late. Megan glances back at the large sack in the rear seat. She reaches over and looks at his supplies doubtfully.
4: Are you sure this is going to work? I mean, why didn't we bring that gun
1: and just blast him away? It probably won't have any effect on him. The only sure way to stop Jason is to return him to his original resting place, where he drowned in 1957. Lake Forest Green? Crystal Lake,
2: where the nightmare began. (laughs) We head to the infamous lake. The water is churning in the moonlight as Officer Pappas steps before us. It's apparent that he's getting tired of searching for God knows what. His flashlight scans the wind-blown bushes. Suddenly, footsteps are heard on the other side of the bushes. He stops abruptly and strains to listen. Tentatively, he creeps toward the bushes. Reaching the bushes, he calls out.
1: All right, come out of there. I'm asking you one more time to come out of there.
2: With his gun held before him, the nervous officer goes for a closer look. He is almost to the bushes. Without warning, someone dives and attacks his leg. He gasps aloud. The frightened child holds on to Papas for dear life. He catches his breath and then crouches down next to her.
1: Hey, hey, what are you doing running around out here? Now you get back to bed. No, there's a scary man. What scary man?
2: Jason explodes out of the bushes. Nancy runs shrieking towards the camp. Officer Pappas opens fire on Jason. The bullets penetrate his chest, but he keeps coming. Suddenly, Jason is before him. His powerful hand reaches out and grabs the officer's screaming face. Jason's fingers dig into the cop's skin. He yanks down, literally ripping the skin off his skull a bloody grinning skull stares back back at the campground the sheriff heads to the squad car he reaches in and quickly pulls out his shotgun leaving the door open he sprints across the campground towards the gunshots as he rounds the corner of the cabin Nancy comes screeching toward him he catches the child and attempts to comfort her
3: hold on take it easy I got you everything's fine
2: as he hugs her he looks up at the boys dormitory cabin all the children are pressed against the windows staring down terrified Quickly, the sheriff picks up Nancy and heads for the cabin. Sheriff Garris bursts into the boys' cabin. All the girls have gathered in the boys' cabin for safety. He puts little Nancy down and addresses the petrified youngsters.
3: Kids, listen to me carefully. I want everyone to lie down on the floor and stay there. Do not get up until I come back. Now hurry.
2: The sheriff runs out of the children's cabin, securing the door behind him. He pumps his weapon as he walks. With stern vigilance, he storms towards his objective. As he arrives at the area behind the cabins near the lake, there is no one to be found. The savage wind whips the trees and bushes, causing the sheriff to twitch at every movement. Slowly, he turns and heads towards the shadowed area between the cabins. With the shotgun held before him, he walks tensely through this dark passage. The sheriff's eyes dart nervously, straining to see the near blackness. Suddenly, he trips. As he falls, he slams down on Officer Pappas' corpse. The sheriff's face lands pressed against the grotesque, bloody skull. The sheriff turns up and stands, and Jason is waiting right there. Quickly, he backs away from this masked specter of evil. Then they both stand motionless for a long time, sizing each other up. Jason decides to make the first move. He lunges forward. The sheriff instantly raises the shotgun and blocks Jason with four frames. A hole is ripped out of Jason's side. It doesn't faze him. He keeps coming. Shocked beyond belief, the sheriff drops the rifle and pulls out his 357. Backing up, he empties the chamber into the stalking room. As he advances on the firing sheriff, we see the bullets exiting from Jason's back. All this is only making him madder. The terrified sheriff, his gun clicking empty, he has but one option left. He turns and runs like hell towards the woods. Jason is right behind. (laughs) Megan's Camaro roars into the campsite next to the police car. Megan jumps out and looks for her father. Tommy grabs the heavy sack from the back seat. They did
4: show up. Isn't that great?
2: I hope so. Megan sees the lights on in the counselor's cabin. She rushes towards it. Megan, wait! Megan dashes up the steps and throws the door open. She screams <laughs> at horror in the blood-spattered room. She turns and runs towards the children's dormitories.
1: Dad? Daddy? No! Megan!
2: <laughs> Out in the woods, the violently wind-blown forest dashes our formerly macho sheriff. Primal instincts tell him only one thing will save his own ass. He runs for his life. Jason continues his pursuit of the lawman. Back in the boys' dormitory cabin, Megan bursts through the door. Petrified little faces stare up from the floor. It's okay. It's me. Megan,
4: don't be afraid.
2: Nancy and a couple other kids run over and hug her leg for security.
4: It's all right. Shh,
2: shh. Tommy arrives at the doorway and looks in and is relieved to see they're all right. He quickly turns and runs back down the steps. Tommy races from the campsite toward the dock, lugging the heavy satchel. Reaching the landing, he starts to board one of the two boats. He recoils in horror. The murdered cop, Officer Thornton, lies in the rowboat. His dead eyes glare right at him, blood flowing from the impaled darkness forehead. He immediately goes for the other boat. Unfortunately, this one is older and more rickety, evident when Tommy steps into it and squeaks and moans. Opening up the sack, Tommy pulls out the long and very heavy chain and then withdraws some huge padlocks. With intense urgency... He looks along the lakeshore for something. Out in the woods, Jason's feet come to a sudden stop, turn, and retrace their steps. Seems Jason has lost his prey. Carefully, he searches the rustling bushes for the hiding sheriff. Buried deep in the thick bushes, the winded sheriff holds his breath as Jason slowly passes. Back at the lakeshore, Tommy struggles to roll a large, heavy rock toward the boat. In the background, Megan is running around the campsite calling out for her father. Already fearing the worst, he yells to Megan. Megan! Use your dad's car radio and call for assistance. And an ambulance. She stares at Tommy, petrified at what that means, runs towards the sheriff's car. As Megan throws the car door open, Sissy's head rolls out and lands at her feet. She goes berserk with horror. Oh, God! Oh, my God! Megan looks around, terrified that the same fate has befallen her father.
4: Dad, answer me! Daddy, where are you? Help us! (laughs)
2: Out in the woods, the sheriff hears his daughter instant cry. What can he do? Jason hears Megan as well and heads in the direction of the voice. The sheriff peeks out of his hiding place. Our killer storms by without seeing him. Jason is hell-bent for Megan. Seeing Jason head towards his daughter, his protective fatherly instincts cause him to take action without thought. He leaps out at Jason.
3: No, not her!
2: With almost superhuman strength, the sheriff attacks Jason and starts pounding him into the ground. So aggressive and relentless is the pummeling, for a moment you think he might kill the monster. But only for a moment. Only disorientated and not at all hurt, Jason rolls over under the sheriff. He grasps the sheriff's arm, stopping the assault. Jason shockingly tears the sheriff's arms out of their sockets. He throws them aside. Then Jason rips the shrieking lawman's head. He pushes it back, causing the sheriff's body to bend all the way backwards. As he is forced back towards his feet, a horrid crack is heard. His spine has been snapped in half. His entire body collapses. Enraged, Jason throws the ragdoll-like body of the sheriff aside as he rises. Megan's voice is heard again, calling her father. Jason heads for her. Down at the boat landing, Megan is struggling to help Tommy get the huge rock into the boat. Her eyes are watering in fear.
4: You've got to help me look for him. We need him to help us.
2: The chains are arranged to go around the rock. Tommy tries to brace himself as they lower the boulder down. A crack is heard as a huge stone lands in the old wooden boat. (sighs) Okay, hand me those padlocks.
5: Did you hear me?
2: Yes, and I said hand me the padlocks. She grabs the locks and gives them to him angrily. You're gonna be sorry. He starts padlocking the chains tightly around the rock. I hope not. Tommy straightens out the rest of the heavy chain. He fashions a noose. Megan paces the dock in nervous fear. She doesn't know what to do. Tommy unties the boat and pushes off the dock into the churning water. Megan! Get back into the cabin with the kids. Megan, please!
5: No, don't leave!
2: Tommy starts rowing out onto the lake. Megan, get in there with them before it's too late. But it's already too late. Back at the boys' dormitory, Jason explodes through the door, knocking it off its hinges. The children run screaming to the back of the cabin. Megan races from the landing toward the cabin. Tommy watches helplessly. He stands up. Megan is only a few yards away from the cabin. Without warning, Jason bursts through a window and lands before her. He springs up and grabs the stunned Megan. As she screams, Jason's hand grips her face. Ah! She is about to share the same horrific facial fate as Officer Papa's.
1: Jason!
2: Gripping Megan's face, Jason looks over toward the lake. Out on the lake, Tommy is seen awkwardly standing in the boat, waving his arm.
1: Come on, Jason! It's me you want! Come and get me!
2: Jason tosses Megan aside and heads for Tommy. (laughs) Megan falls to the ground, trembling and hyperventilating. She stares at the departing Jason and looks back at the cabin. All of the eyes of the petrified kids peek down at her from the bottom of the window frames. Tommy keeps taunting Jason for him to come.
1: That's it! Come on, you pussy!
2: Jason reaches the lake and keeps going as if the water didn't even exist. He stays fixed on the one thing he's wanted to kill most, Tommy Jarvis. Seeing he's got him, Tommy sits down and reaches for the chain noose and holds it in his sweating hands. Come on, you big
1: dummy, just a little closer.
2: Jason is wading deeper into the dark, choppy waters. Seeing Jason is getting dangerously close to Tommy, Megan jumps up and starts yelling,
4: Tommy, get out of there! Row to the other side of the lake! Hurry!
2: Jason stops and turns to look back at Megan. Should he get her first? Hey, asshole! It's me
1: you want, remember? Come on, chicken shit! I'm sitting here waiting.
2: Jason turns back towards Tommy. He moves on him like a hungry shark. Tommy's nervous hands keep the noose out of Jason's sight as he opens it wider. He is almost to the book. Tommy is sweating profusely as he does him. He looks down at the chain noose. It's ready. But then... Just as Jason reaches the boat, he submerges, disappearing into the dark waters. Tommy goes crazy, looking from one side to the other. He scans the sinister, churning waters. Where will Jason re-emerge? Looking over the side of the boat, bubbles rise. Tommy holds the noose over them. Jason explodes up from the other side. Tommy loses his balance and drops the noose into the bottom of the boat. His fall causes the rickety boat to crack. Water starts to leak around the huge rock. Jason grabs for Tommy, who struggles to reach the noose. Megan is freaking out, not knowing what to do. Jason's hand grabs Tommy's jacket. The boy fights to break free of his grip. Their struggle causes it to split open wider. More water pours in. He tries to snag the noose as Jason pulls it harder on him. Tommy fights to free himself of Jason's grasp before running out of breath. He gives up on the noose, opting to strangle Tommy instead. Both are drowning in this battle. Bubbles appear on the surface of the lake. After a flurry of them, they cease. After a moment, Tommy's limp body rises to the surface and floats lifeless. Jason's body also hangs lifeless. Anchored vertically by the chain, the two have destroyed each other. Knowing it's over, all of the kids exit the cabin. They surround the catatonic Megan. The wind has died down. Little Nancy stares up sorrowfully at Megan.
4: Is he killed Dad?
2: Megan breaks out of her shock. She heads for the lake. Stay here. Megan races to the lake and dives in. She swims towards the motionless Tommy. She reaches her man, holds him around the chest, and pulls him towards the shore. Underwater, Megan's leg is grabbed by Jason. He tries to pull her down. Megan fights for her life as she repeatedly gets yanked down. Megan's feet kick at her attacker, but Jason's iron grip will not let go of her leg. A stream of final air bubbles and disgusting, ugly black fluid rushes from his mask. Jason's hand lets go of Megan. She swims away. Our infamous killer is at last defeated. His rotting corpse hangs in its original underwater burial ground. Megan pulls Tommy's body onto the shore. The children run down and surround them with concerned faces. Megan frantically giving him mouth to mouth. Tommy doesn't respond. Megan won't accept that he's dead. She fights back the tears as she pushes on his abdomen. Still nothing. Nancy watches Megan trying desperately to revive the lifeless boy. The child closes her eyes and whispers a little prayer. The tears are now flowing down Megan's cheeks. She knows her efforts are in vain. In frustration, she strikes his chest hard. Suddenly, as the little girl's prayers were answered, Tommy coughs up and spits out water as he comes back to life. Megan hugs him and helps him sit up. A few of the kids cheer. Little Nancy opens her eyes and is quite surprised it worked. She looks heavenward and smiles a thank you. As Megan hugs him gratefully, Tommy looks out at the moonlit lake. It's over, Megan. It's finally over. Jason is home. Tommy, Megan, and the kids stare at the now peaceful lake. The next day, back at the cemetery, the old caretaker, Martin, is bent over, pulling weeds. Sensing a presence, he turns around. He climbs nervously to his feet, quickly dropping the weeds. Before him stands a man in a dark suit with longish red-gray hair.
4: You, uh, uh frightened me. I was just, you know, uh, cleaning up the place, you know.
2: <laughs> the way Martin looks up at him, we know he is hiding true terror of this mysterious stranger.
4: Uh, uh, nice to see you again, uh, Mr. Voorhees. Uh, haven't seen you in Crystal uh, Forest Green in quite some time.
2: There is only deathly silence from the nefarious man.
4: Hey, I've been uh, taking real good care of your wife and son's <laughs> graves. Uh, go look. You'll be real pleased.
2: Martin forces a grin to cover his fear. Mr. Voorhees' hand reaches into his back pants pocket and withdraws a small wad of money. The gnarled hand gives it to Martin. Martin sheepishly accepts his payment. He practically genuflects before him.
4: Thank you, Mr. Voorhees. Uh, thank you. I'll leave you in private like you like. Okay. Uh, b- bye. Th- thank you.
2: He takes his earnings and dashes away, probably to the liquor store. Mr. Voorhees' black shoes head toward the graves of his wife and son, Jason. He stands menacingly over the family's resting place. Does he sense something is wrong here? His eyes stare down at his son's grave. These eyes are truly evil, cold, dark, demonic. He seems to know something is off. He knows this aren't the true whereabouts of his son. Friday the 13th, Part 6. From Cobras and Fire, a Pantheon podcast. Radio play written and directed by Jason Bakken. Original motion picture screenplay by Tom McLaughlin.
1: I like how every single person is a country bumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> that, that does.
2: I think I think we got Gene's motivation in it. <laughs> every
1: single character.
2: Uh (laughs) Starring Gene Vogel as Alan Hawes Sheriff Garris Lizbeth Larry and Paula. Andy Shaw as Megan, Deputy Rick Cologne, Darren, Stan, Caretaker Martin, and Officer Thornton. Elsie Fox as Tommy Jarvis, Nancy, Court, Katie, Officer Pappas, and Little Girl. Bacoaz, Sissy, Bert, and your narrator. Music from Kevin McLeod and Jesus Chrysler. Court gets banged in a in a, a Winnebago later in the movie, if that helps you guys decide. <laughs> Okay.
5: We're gonna scare him? <laughs> <Sorry>.
1: <laughs> Boo.
4: <clears throat> That's right. He just strived toward him. Mm, He'll move. It. You can do it again. Okay.
3: <laughs> I can sympathize with you kids. The best I can do is call the station and carpenter and have them keep a look at Fuck me. <laughs> <coughs>
1: That's not in the script. Oh, Fuck me, that. Megan. <laughs>
3: <laughs> call me daddy.
1: <laughs> All right, there's the Easter egg. Yeah. Don't call me daughter. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Megan, attracted to the good-looking prisoner, walks towards his hey, cell. Dad.
3: Jason, Sorry. who? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah,
2: no. let me do that one more time. <laughs> Sorry, I screwed that I screwed up. Do the Megan. I don't know that this line needs to be in there. I think we just go with. Uh, I think the sexual well, tension <laughs> uh, build, builds on its own with these two. Oh, it does. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so we'll we'll just get that line. We'll go right to Megan here.
3: We're gonna scorch you in that ship pile pickle of yours, pickle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> mm,
1: delicious. Don't call me. Where's daughter. that pickle
3: been?
1: Half pickle will travel.
3: My ass.
1: Yeah. That's fat too.
0: (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) Hold on.
1: Doesn't like doesn't doesn't sound like Larry is a very good businessman. It's quota. It has all to do with his accent.
2: Oh, God, I gotta reset here. Alright, ready?
4: Dig it up. Hell, what kind of butthole does he think I am?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's the line, that's the, the line of the entire movie, by the way.
3: Son of a bitch. That's my daughter. Son of mom. a shitting bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Do it again. I'm, I missed that glorious part. <laughs> I think that might be the best line of the movie.
2: Jill in court in this next scene. We, we need a Jill. I can do Jill. All right, Andy's got Jill. Who's going to be banging me? <laughs> Andy.
4: Wait a second, Court. You didn't call. Re- <laughs>
2: <laughs> this might be the hardest line to do, huh?
4: <laughs> oh, your wife just must be upstairs, just rolling her eyes, listening to this
2: shit. Oh. <laughs> She's heard worse. Pantheon Podcast. Podcast for music lovers. Go to PantheonPodcast.com for this and many other amazing shows. The end. There There you you go. go. Go Done.
1: I certainly don't understand that ending at all, but whatever.
5: The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift, the Eras tour presented by Capital One. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One travel.
4: Enjoy your stay in suite
5: 13. Whoa, 13. That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet?
1: Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.